All right, good morning, everyone. Everyone good? All right. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, we live uh, in what I would consider to be a less than ideal world. Uh, our lives are less than perfect by any definition or, or by any measure, uh, but it's definitely good to have a few days off. And if you were able to have a few days off, and it's definitely good to sit around with friends or family and to enjoy some good meal, uh, because we definitely have much to be grateful for, uh, despite all the inadequacies and the less than ideal stuff in our, in our lives, in our personal world, God is definitely good. I mean, we are certainly a blessed people. Uh, if there's a roof over our head, if there's food in our kitchen, it's somewhere in the refrigerator or the pantry. Uh, we are a blessed people, particularly, I would say, in this nation where we have religious freedoms and, and we can come and go about our business and so many wonderful opportunities. Um, and I would say that one of the great blessings with which we are blessed by God that we should be particularly grateful for is the gift of his word. So if you will, open up your Bible, if you have it with you, and I always hope that you do, let's open up uh, the scripture. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's right after the book of Numbers. And we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 11 today. And we are wrapping up a very short sermon series. We've been spending the last few weeks trying to glean some insight and some practical advice from the Bible. And in, in order for us to know how to deal, how to cope, how to manage what is nothing short of an epidemic of spiritual exhaustion. Exhaustion. I looked it up to see what the textbook definition of it is, and it's this. Exhaustion means that our vital energies are completely worn out and spent. So our vital energies completely worn out and spent. Ever felt that way? Have you ever felt completely worn out and completely spent? Some of you are kind of smiling because you're like, have I ever felt that way? I feel like that right now. Have you ever in your life, have you ever been so spiritually, and I do want to qualify it that way, so spiritually tired from like all the pressures of life, like all this stuff that we undergo and go through and face, that no matter how many times you take a day off, no matter how many vacations you take in your life, you just can't seem to recoup. Have you ever been so spent, the world is so at you with darts and arrows and challenges and obstacles that no matter what, you just can't quite seem to recharge your battery all the way, your spiritual battery. It basically, getting to the point where the strength of our faith doesn't quite bounce back because we got so depleted, it just doesn't come all the way to where it should be. And really what I'm asking by that, have you ever found yourself in a place where your love for God waned and eroded and diminished somewhat? And that though you were kind of wanting it back, you just couldn't quite get your hands on it. And that is a very real phenomenon. That is a, a very real thing that can happen to true Christians. And it's a particularly dangerous place for us to find ourselves in. To, to get to the place where our soul is so fatigued, so fatigued that we can't be motivated, that we can't be inspired, that we're not able to be lifted up. 
Like, have you ever been in that place? You're so low that nothing anyone says or does even brightens you at all. Like, we can get to a place in our lives where we just mechanically go through our day with no joy. And like little, if any, thought about God or the things of God. We can get in our place, in our walk with Christ. We can get in a place where we do the right thing day in and day out, but we're doing it only because it's the right thing. We do it because we have to, but not because there's any like genuine heartfelt desire or inspiration to do so. And folks, that is right there what spiritual burnout looks like. Spiritual burn out. And, and this thing that I'm talking about today, it has very little to do with how many hours we're putting in at work. It has very little to do with how many hours of sleep we're deprived of. And it has very little to do with how much service we're doing at church, how much we're helping at church. It has very little to do with those things. And it has Everything to do with not taking the necessary time in our day and in our week and in our month to carve out for our soul to be replenished. So the strength that we need in our lives is not found in a pill. It's not found, found in a nice creatine in it. It's not found in any of those things. The strength that we need is if we don't do that, we're in trouble. If we don't make the time in our day and in our week to do this, we are in trouble. And in fact, not only are we personally, individually at risk, I would dare say that we put our marriage at risk. We put our kids at risk. We put our family at risk. We put our church at risk. So we have to, we have to make time for our soul to be strengthened. But that's the tricky part, right? How do I make time? How do I make time when I have no time? Who's busy? Anyone busy? Anyone have time in their schedule? How much margin do you have in your, in your calendar? When you wake up tomorrow, I mean, your, your, your minutes are pretty much uh, like already scheduled and itemized as you go in, into your week. Rick, how can I make time when I don't have time? Rick, if you have a time stretcher, the one of the, you know, if you can invent this thing, it would be nice. Something that you can buy that can actually stretch time, add hours to my week, to my day, then we're talking. Then, then maybe there's something that we can do. But outside of that, I don't know what we can do. And the reality is that, and this is hard for us to hear, we have more than enough time to do everything that we have to do. There is more than enough time in every 24-hour period, in every 168-hour week, in all 52 weeks of the year, plenty of time for us to do everything that we're supposed to do. The question is, are we going to use our time wisely? No, of all the resources that we have at our fingertips, of all the resources that we entrusted with and have the capacity to manipulate in any way, time is the only one that gets used whether you want to use it or not. Time waits for no one. Time waits for no one. You can't hoard it. You can't save time in a bank account, in a time account. I mean, it's here and it's gone, just like that. Here comes this moment, that one just left. Here comes another one, that one's gone. Like, you, it gets used one way or the other. So the question is, am I going to spend it or am I going to waste it? Am I going to spend my time wisely or am I going to waste it frivolously? 
So we receive strength, the strength that we need to combat all this spiritual exhaustion, the way that we keep spiritual burnout at arm's length is by stewarding the most important limited resource that we have, and that is our time. We receive strength when we prioritize, when we use our time wisely, when we prioritize God and the things of God and following God's instructions for our lives. And that's the truth that I want to share with you today. The, the, the truth for today is this. This, strength for today comes through our obedience to God. Strength for today comes through our obedience to God. We can enjoy a life of abundance. Sound good? We can enjoy a life of victory. You can enjoy a life of blessing. You can have a life of energy. You don't have to settle for this woe is me life. You can actually enjoy and partake of a wow is God kind of a life. You can be a victor and a conqueror in every way, but the way that this takes place is by embracing a life of humble, joyful, grateful, faithful obedience to the God who loves you. That's how it happens. So let's go ahead and get into the text here. So Deuteronomy chapter 11, look at the first verse. It says, you shall therefore love your love the Lord your God and always keep his charge his statutes his ordinances and his commandments so the first thing we see there in that verse is that we're to love the Lord love God and we're to love him folks for a multitude of reasons I would dare say an infinite amount of reasons for loving God the way that we should but Two big ones, two biggies, are given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So if you were to flip back to Deuteronomy 10 and look at verse 14, we're told there that the heavens and the earth belong to God. To say that the heavens and the earth belong to God is to say that everything belongs to God. And to say that everything belongs to God is to say that God is the creator of everything, of all things. So take a quick moment, and I want you to just think about the phenomenon of celebrity. Like, our culture is all about celebrity. I don't know if that's you. I've personally never been someone to, like, get all into celebrity and stuff. I mean, I can walk by someone famous, and I, I don't care. I mean, they're, they put their shoes on the same way I do, right? So they like cowbell, I like cowbell. Like, there's no real difference at the end of the day between them and me. But there are people that will just fawn, fawn over. They lose their minds at the thought of celebrities. They obsess over them. They know every detail of their life. They know who they're dating. They know what designer they're wearing. They know all these things. They, they know the feud that their celebrity is in, the celebrity Hollywood feuds. Uh-uh, they didn't say that about Taylor Swift, did they? Like, we take sides with the celebrity of our choice. I mean, we, we go out of our mind on this. Like, the thought of being in the same room as Captain America Chris Evans or President Obama or LeBron James or Taylor Swift, I mean, some people, it would just, it would be everything. Have you ever seen footage, or maybe you've been to a Michael Jackson concert? Like, if you've ever seen footage of these, these spectacle events where he would go to this nation and this city and everything stopped, and there's the concert. If you watch the footage, it's crazy. People are crying at being in the same zip code as the king of pop. 
They're crying. They're so emotionally overwhelmed and overcome. People are passing out. They're fainting at the thought of being in the presence of such greatness. And why do people do that? It's called L-O-V-E. That's called love. That's all that is. It's love. And, and I believe that we should admire talent in an individual, but we, should we not admire more the one who gives the talent? I don't know. Just, just a thought for your consideration. I mean, I think that we should recognize when a person has a beautiful voice, but should we not love the one who actually created the air in which the musical notes travel? I mean, I, I believe we should recognize that LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But how about we love the one who created time? How about that? I believe that we should completely respect the president of the United States. How about we love the one who governs the universe? It's funny how we get caught up in this celebrity and the people down here when there is a God who created everything. So just imagine that there was a time before time, if you could even wrap your mind around that concept. And before Genesis 1-1, there was no time. There was a time before time. And in that time before time, there was only God and nothing else, only God. We can't even imagine what that would be like, what that would look like, what that would feel like. It's only God. And God, standing on nothing, spoke into nothing, and nothing obeyed him, and nothing became everything. God created everything out of nothing simply by the word of his power. All things are made by him, through him, and for him. Therefore, all glory and praise and honor belong to him and him alone. He is our creator. He's our master. Peter T. Forsyth said this, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but it's master to find God, to find a creator. Like the first duty of our spirit, of our soul, of our inward being is to find him who made us. He created us. He created our galactic habitat. And if for no other reason, he is worthy of our admiration, our praise, our love, and our affection. Amen? Well, we should love God because he's our creator. We should also love him because he is our savior. He's our savior, our rescuer, our deliverer. Look at verse 22, Deuteronomy 10, verse 22. It says, your fathers, so this is talking to the nation of Israel, so it's talking about to the forefathers of the nation of Israel. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as, a nu as numerous as the stars of heaven. It's a reference to Jacob, when Jacob and his son, so the entire Jacob family, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So when Israel moved to Egypt, there was a famine in the land of Canaan that forced the family to move to Egypt where there was food. And when they first got to Egypt, they were welcomed with open arms. Come on in, family. Come on in, Israelites. And God blessed the nation. God blessed his family. And over time, they grew and they grew and they grew. They became so numerous that the Pharaoh became fearful of this family, of this nation of Israel. And he became so fearful that he enslaved the people. 
He made them into slaves. And he harshly, harshly mistreated them. And they cried out to God. And God heard them in mercy and in kindness. God heard them. And as a result, he raised up a deliverer. His name is Moses. He raised up this deliverer to confront their enemy and to lead God's people out of that oppression. And if you know the story, Pharaoh was not uh, quick to let go of his labor force, was he? He was particularly stubborn. And so it took God a little bit to persuade him. But ultimately, God persuaded him. God prevailed through ten terrible, awful plagues that he brought down upon the nation of Egypt. And as as a result of that, God won the day. God saved the Israelites, and they were let go. They were set free to be God's people and to move on. Well, today, we're not so much, at least not in this nation, not so much in physical enslavement, are we? But we're definitely born into spiritual bondage. Sin is a prison to us. Sin is an awful tyrant that only seeks to destroy us, but there is a good God that only desires our good. And so God, seeing us in prison and in bondage, he sent a deliverer, his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to earth, and he goes to a cross. And on that cross, your sin and my sin were placed upon his shoulders. And God the Father poured judgment upon Jesus as if Jesus had committed our sin. So Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf in order to win our freedom. Jesus went to the cross to foot the bill, like the wages of sin is death. He footed the bill on the cross. He fully absorbed what we deserve. Then he died. He descended into death, and he took sin and guilt and death and darkness into the grave with him, and he left it there on the third day. He stood up, walked out, and he left our enemy dead and buried. Praise God. Praise God for that. So Jesus is our Savior. It is by the grace of God through faith in Christ that we are set free. We are rescued out of our plight, out of our bondage. We're delivered from the dominion of sin, and we receive this new life. So just imagine this. If it's possible to wrap our brain around this thought, the creator of life died that we, the created, would have life. What do you call that? L-O-V-E. I mean, that's love. That is the greatest display of love that we have ever seen. That the creator would give his life, that we the created would have life. And if that is true, and it is, if that is true, then can you think of any reason, any good reason, because we can think of a lot of reasons, but can you think of a good reason why to withhold love from God? If he loves us that much, can you think of any good reason to withhold loving him? And the answer is a big old resounding no, absolutely not. If anything, we should be quick, quick and fast without hesitation to love the God who loves us. And so then that brings us to another question. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? In what way do I love God? What does it mean or look like to to be loving toward God? In verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1 tells us. It says there. Love the Lord your God and always keep his charge. Always keep his statutes, his commandments, his precepts, his instructions. 
Loving God means obeying God. And Jesus told us the same thing in John chapter 14. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like in God's economy, loving God and obeying God are synonyms of one another. They go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. We can't say that we love God if we're dis- dis- neglecting his word and his instruction in our life. They, they're together. They're synonymous with one another. Now, our mission at Anthem Church is this. Fill injure in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. What does it mean to be love-filled? Love-filled means submission. Love is submission. Love is taking a posture of submissiveness to another. It's submitting our interests. It's the way that we define it. If you want to use anthem language, to be love-filled means that we submit our interests to that of another. That's what love is. So there's God. I'm to love God. So I submit my interests to those of God. I consider God is more important than myself. I put him first in my life, not me. If I put me first, then that's self-love. But I don't want self-love. I want to love God. So I put him first. He's number one. So I submit my agenda, my priorities, my desires. I submit them. I lay them down in order to take up those that belong to God. Love is submission to the Lord. To his ways. It's saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. Therefore, love is obedience to God. It is submitting my life to his wise instruction and his counsel in my life. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And without missing a beat, he very famously said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the calling on a Christian. Like if we call ourselves a follower of Christ, that this is what this means. We love the Lord. And that means that we heed his word, that we follow his instructions, and we keep his commandments. In other words, it is to be the priority of our life. Like that's it. Like if there's anything else, that's it. If there's nothing else, that's it. Loving God, obeying his word, prioritizing God and the things of God, setting our hearts and our minds on the things above. It is seeking his righteousness and his kingdom. It is pursuing godliness and holiness in our lives. It is honoring God with our thoughts and our minds, with with our hearts, with our passion, our desire, our attitude, our actions, everything about us. Honoring God, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Pursuing God that life so here's a challenging question i think to all of us do you love the lord do you love the lord do you love your creator do you love your savior does your life fervently display your love through your obedience to the one who loves you Does your submission to him, through your active obedience to God, does it indicate that you have received the love of God and that you are doing your best to love him as much as you possibly can? Do you love him? Does your life show that? And and folks, we should all be 
ready, willing, and able to obey God right now because of who he is. He's our, he's our creator. He's our savior because of everything that he's done, because of the sacrifice of Christ and him knitting us in our mother's womb and bringing us to this point in our life for everything that God has done, we should get fired up. Woo! Inside joke to those in the financial stewardship class. We should get fired up. Like excited, enthused about loving the God who loves us so much, about honoring him. And we should not only get fired up to obey him because of what he's done for us in the past, but also because of what he has promised to do for us here and now. There's a promise about the here and now. Look at verse 8, Deuteronomy 11, verse 8. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it. This is said. God is saying this to the Israelite nation. So they were in bondage in Egypt. They got freedom from that. They've been traveling through the wilderness, through the desert. They're on the brink of entering what is called the promised land, the land of Canaan, where we consider Israel to be now geographically. They're on the brink of entering that promised land. God didn't only save them out of slavery. He's about to gift them, and he's about to gift them a good old gift, a beautiful land, fertile land, flowing with milk and honey. This is a good land. And God says, I'm going to give you a brand new home. And in this home, you are going to live a blessed life, a blessed life. In this new life, this new home that God is carving out for them, God's like, I'm going to be your king. So he's not only creator, he's not only savior. I'm going to be your king. I'm a good king, and I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to shepherd you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Is that a good deal? Good deal? All-powerful creator, loving, gracious God, good, good king, like I'll take care of you. Good deal? Yes, we should take it. Now, how do you respond? What does it mean to take it, to accept this gift? Well, there's only one way to accept that gift, and that is to agree to a life of joyful, out of the gratitude of our heart, humble, faithful obedience to a God who's so loving toward us. Like, is there any other appropriate response to such an offer? Like, no, like, that's it. That's the only way to to accept. Accepting promised land life means accepting a life of obedience to the loving God who offers that life. I'll say that again. Accepting promised land life means accepting a life of obedience to the loving God who offers that life. You know, for for many years, when I've heard people teaching or preaching from the Old Testament, you know, they're they're looking at the Old Testament preaching from that, and and they get to something about the promised land. They always talk about the promised land being a picture of heaven. And folks, as humbly as I can say it, I believe that's incorrect. The promised land in the Old Testament is not a a picture of heaven. It's not a pointing or foreshadowing of heaven. What the promised land points to is to life on earth as God's people. It's a life of salvation on earth as God's people. And here's, here's why I say that. Heaven is perfect. There's peace in heaven. There's no war in heaven. There are no battles in heaven. There's no death or sickness in heaven. None of that. 
is in heaven. It is perfect, ideal peace and bliss all the time. And God did not promise that to the Israelites before they entered the land. If anything, he told them, promised them, warned them that the opposite would be true, that they would have to go into this land and do battle. Well, that doesn't sound like heaven. There's going to be wars in this land. Well, that's not heaven. There's going to be death in this land. Guess what? That's not heaven. Like, there's going to be enemies that rise up. They're going to have to fight false religion in this land. Enemies are going to rise up and attack them. And there's going to be all these obstacles and trials and temptation and issues constantly, constantly from inside the land and from without the land, always. That is not heaven by any stretch. God is inviting them. He's inviting them to this blessed life where he himself is going to rule over them and watch over them, protect and provide in every way. That's a good thing. That's right. But he's warning them, this will not be easy. In no shape, form, or fashion will this life you're about to enter into, will it be easy. And folks, and he's telling them, you're going to need to be strong when you enter into this land. You're going to need strength to endure. You're going to need strength in order to persevere through all the trials and all the headaches and the hardships. So where does this needed strength come from? And it tells us in verse 8. It says, you shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be what? Strong. This is the truth that I'm trying to share with you today. Spiritual strength comes through our obedience to God. Spiritual strength is a result of our obedience. We receive this spiritual vitality when we love God and when we prioritize God and the things of God and following his instructions in our life. Now, watch me carefully. Salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Not by my works or yours, but simply through believing in the sacrifice of Christ. It is by grace through faith alone alone salvation i enter into the promised land through belief through faith but the way that i receive the strength that god offers is through my faithful obedience you with me we're not saved by our obedience we're saved by grace but the way that we harness or tap into whatever the right expression is embrace and receive the strength that god offers once we enter into salvation the way that that takes place is through our obedience to the lord you know i i i talk to enough people that i know that there's a lot of folks here this morning in our church that are maybe aren't here this morning they're traveling a lot of us are spiritually fatigued i would say exhausted, bordering, if not fully, into spiritual burnout. And I would say that particularly those of us who have been grinding away for three years, I, I you know, God called me, me and my family, we're going to plant this church, and others, God called others, and we came together, this initial group, to, to plant this church. And, and I knew, like I wasn't under the delusion that this would be easy or simple, but never did I realize how utterly difficult and challenging this would be. So 
I, I told the praise team earlier today that I feel like I'm preaching the sermon more to me than to you. Um, it's like a word that I need to hear personally. Because if you're spiritually exhausted and burnt out, folks, I'm, I think I'm leading the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm right in front of you. I feel like I'm like literally, I'm not running across the finish line. I'm like on my hands and knees just trying to make it another step each day. And so I'm concerned for myself. I'm concerned for many in our church family. And so I want to offer three keys this morning that maybe together we could help each other to embrace this. And these are three keys to receiving God's strength. And I'll go ahead and give them to you all in order. Number one, look for it in the right place. Look for strength in the right place. Number two, desire it for the right reason. And number three, conform to the right lifestyle. So let me unpack that first one. To receive the strength that we need, we need to look for that strength in the right place. When we get low, and usually it's not, it's not if, it's when we get low in our faith, our instinct is to retreat. There's something in us, our sinful nature, that instantly wants to push back, like retreat away from the things that are kind of causing the burnout. So the problem is that we tend to retreat in the wrong direction. We tend to retreat toward distraction as opposed to retreating into God. So, for example, we love to binge watch Netflix, don't we? And I'm not a Netflix hater. We have it. It's cheaper than cable, right? It's a good thing. A little entertainment in our life is a good thing. God doesn't begrudge us that at all. But so long as we're not consuming a vulgarity and, and immorality, because there's a lot of that on Netflix. But, but, you know, a little entertainment, a little show here there, I mean, that's a good thing. But we're quick to binge watch. So, so what happens is that we could just watch one episode. But next thing you know, it's five hours later. Because I got to find out, how does Phil Coulson and Ghost Rider get on the same page? Like, I got to know Mar- Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? How does, this, how does this work out? You got this bad guy and this good guy. How do they end up working together? So I get caught up, and you know how the last few minutes are. There's always, like, a cliffhanger. So you got to start watching the next one. And it's 3 a.m. And it's like, well, I'm getting up in a couple hours. Well, what's a couple hours? So I might as well keep at it. And this is how we watch shows. Like, they even joke about it. Like, the commercials, have you ever fallen into the show hole? Yes, it's awful. But why? Because I'm addicted to it. Like, I'm, like I'm, the reason that I go toward those things is because I'm trying to self-medicate. I'm trying to get distracted because I've got some issues and some problems and some heartache. And it's easier to just turn things off that I need to turn on and turn on the things that are just going to distract me from actually dealing with the real thing. Facebook does the same thing to us. I get concerned about how much time some people spend on Facebook. Holy cow, like shut it off. But anyway, our tendency is to seek distraction and binge on the things of the world rather than seeking the God who's the one that that supplies the strength that we need. A vacation is a good thing, folks. Vacation is a good thing. It can be fun, but it's not the remedy. I mean, when I, I, there's a, I actually don't like vacations, and the reason why is because I know what I'm getting into once I get back. Whatever rest I may have experienced, it's gone within 24 hours of being back. And if you have four little ones and you go to the beach, that's not vacation. That's Navy SEAL training, 
That's not relaxing. A day off, a mental health day, folks, that's a good thing. If you need one, take one. But just know that that's not the remedy. When we're talking about like true emotional, spiritual fatigue and exhaustion, those things ultimately are actually like band-aids. We're trying to cover some symptoms when it doesn't actually get to the root of the issue. And the, the issue is I need, you need to spend time with God. You need to prioritize him in your life. And that actually means praying and meditating on Scripture. You know, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord and, and meditates on it day and night. Like just always feeding on the Lord. Like, like as soon as it goes in, because we're porous creatures, like all this goodness falls out. So I got to keep replenishing. You know, we should do that daily. Like, that should be a priority in our daily life, our weekly life. Like, I've got to prioritize the Lord, my relationship, my connection with him. Some of us, and I would say that all of us, but in particular some of us because of different places that we may be, some of us need to go on an actual retreat. An actual day, two, three, four, a week, alone, away no phone, no internet, no Netflix, no Facebook, no world, just you and God in solitude together. And it's not vacation. It's not sitting at a beach just lounging by a pool. It is actually hard work of sitting there and pursuing God. Like I've done this in my life. Nothing, nothing recharges me like taking days away and just being with God and pursuing and climbing up that proverbial uh, mountain. Nothing recharges me. It's been, I think, two years since I did it last. But, and I think that's why one of the reasons I'm so winded, like I need this. And I know that that's really hard to do. Like how do I take a week off? You know, maybe it's six hours. If that's all you really can do, well, give six hours if you can carve out six hours or a 24-hour period. But my, the point, regardless, is in your daily walk, in your weekly walk, your monthly walk, in your yearly walk, your lifelong walk, retreat into God. Don't retreat away from the Lord. Strength is found in him who is the giver of strength. So that's looking for it in the right place, or actually I should say the right person. Number two, if you desire strength, you got to desire strength for the right reason, for the right reason, we shouldn't ask for God to give us strength if we're just going to turn around and use it for our own purposes. I don't, I don't think God's going to strengthen us for us to further our own agenda. If our life's ambition, if our life's ambition is simply to keep up with the Joneses, like bigger, newer, nicer house, like cooler, newer stuff, like if this is what we daydream about, if this is what brings delight to our heart, we can... Not ex we can not only not expect for God not to give, how many negatives was that in one sentence? Like, <laughs> wow, diagram that sucker. Like, if our ambition is that stuff, then we should fully expect to remain in our spiritual burnout. So we need to check our hearts. What are our hopes? What are our dreams? What are our desires? What are we looking for? What do we want? Is it earthly comforts? Is it earthly kingdoms? Or is it the kingdom and the glory of God? If that's our desire, if God 
and his kingdom is our desire, he will give us strength for today. Of that, I'm certain. And number three, if you want spiritual strength, conform to the right lifestyle. God tells us there in verse 8, so Deuteronomy 11, verse 8, in order to be strong, keep the commandments, keep the word, follow the instruction. How can we ask God to give us what we need if we are blatantly ignoring and neglecting to carry out the things that he's asked us to do in our daily lives? How, how can we ask for God to give us strength if we're living in blatant contradiction to his word? So stay with me here. I'm not saying that the way that God gives us strength is if we're perfect. Because if, if we have to be perfect to receive the strength that God offers, we're in trouble, right? We're, we're, I mean, might as well quit and give up now. But what this means is that we should be like King David, who's referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. David was terribly flawed. I'll be honest with you. I don't, regardless of your background and your story and your history and things you may have done and, and all kinds of terrible sin in your life, King, King David makes us all look like rookies when it comes to sin. He was a gold medal sinner. And God referred to him as a man after God's own heart. Well, how can that be? And the reason why is that every time that King David sinned, what would he do? He would confess and he would repent. He would confess and he would repent. Uh, David wrote the words in Psalm 32, verse 3, which says this. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That doesn't sound pleasant. He's in a bad spot. He's low. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my energy, my strength. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. What David is telling us there is that sin drains our spiritual energy. Sin is a leech. Sin is a tapeworm that just sucks the life out of us in every way. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the giver of strength and power. So we need to check our heart and our lives. If, I'll say this, and again, I don't know you. I don't know your life. I don't know what you go through, what you're enduring, what you're having to struggle with. I, I don't know that. That's between you and the Lord. But I'll offer this, that if you find yourself chronically spiritually fatigued, if you find yourself in a position of spiritual burnout, maybe possibly it could be because there's a sin in your life that you're ignoring, that you're not dealing with, that you're not facing and confronting. So just know this, that God very graciously offers to give us the strength that we need. We just have to be quick to confess it. So admit to God that it's wrong. My bad, God. My bad, Jesus. But it's not just saying that it's wrong, but it's actually repenting of it. Scripture tells us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To repent means to turn away from it, to recant it, to rebuke the sin in our lives. Like, so not only is it wrong, but it's so wrong that I'm actually going to say I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done with it. And then turning to Jesus to follow Jesus in his ways. And then striving to the very best of your ability in the strength of the Holy Spirit to just do it as well as you can every day. 
And when you mess up, and not if, but when you mess up, confess, repent. And the next day when you mess up, guess what? Confess and repent. And that honors God. And he will give us strength if we do that. If we conform our lives the right way. So in Deuteronomy 11, God offers strength to his people for life in the promised land. And he offers that same strength to us today. Promised land life is living in salvation as God's people on earth. Got me? This is the life that God offers to live in the promised land today. That means living in salvation as God's people in the world. If we're in Christ, we are living in the promised land. And it's not easy, is it? You know, that as soon as we enter into this relationship with Christ, we find ourselves in the middle of a war, don't we? There was a war there before, we just didn't know it. And now our eyes are opened. Scripture tells us that we're at spiritual war with these spiritual realms. And it's very real. The forces of darkness opposing God and God's people and God's way. And so there's this enemy in the world that's constantly attacking God's people. So we're under battle constantly. It tells us what, that's why it tells us in the Scripture to put on the armor of God. You know, the, the world hated Jesus and they crucified him. So it tells us in the scripture, do not be surprised, brethren, when the world hates you. The same world that hated Jesus is going to hate those who follow him. So spiritual forces in the world all coming at us. Like in what way is this an easy life? On top of that, it, what I think it's even a harder part of Christianity is that now once we're in relationship with Christ, there's this internal war where the flesh and the spirit are like at odds with one another, and it is wrenching. That my, there's a part of me that says, you want this. It's shiny and bright, and it looks good, and it smells good, and it touches good. Go after this. It's this fruit, like the forbidden fruit. Go after that. And there's the spirit in me, like tugging the other way. Stay away. That doesn't honor God. That's, in your, that's not in your good interest. That's not in your best interest. And it's a constant wrestling, and it is exhausting. And to add to that, sickness, the passing of a loved one, relationship drama, tensions at home, financial crisis, unemployment, and it goes on and on. No wonder we're exhausted. But God promises strength. He promises strength. You can endure. We can persevere through this. We don't need to settle for that woe is me life. We can actually grab on to that wow life. We can be victors and conquerors in Christ. We can have a life in which we live it with vitality and vigor, passion and joy, strength and energy and power. But it does require, it requires something of us. You have to be all in. Anthemers, hear me please. You have to be all in. You have to own it. You gotta own this thing. You gotta own your faith. You gotta own your commitment. Now, too many people treat Christianity like a car rental. It's kind of nice for a few days. I don't care what happens to the car. I can scrape it up on something, it can get dinged. I don't care. It needs maintenance. I don't care. I'm going to trade it in, right? I'm going to turn it in, not trade it in, but just turn it in. 
It's a rental. Or some people treat Christianity like a lease, which is nothing more than a glorified rental. Like, it doesn't belong to me. That's not really my car, so I don't really care. I'm just kind of using the car to get me from here to there, but it's not mine, and I don't care. At some point, the day's going to come where I'm going to trade it in for something else. But then there are those of us who actually own our car. And that's a whole different experience. We're committed to that car. So much so that we actually get emotionally vested in the car. We give it a name, maybe. We invest in the vehicle. If it needs air in the tires, we put air in the tires. If it needs an oil change, we get the oil change. If it needs maintenance, we make sure it goes in for maintenance. If we get a scratch on that car, oh, it eats us up. Want to keep the clean car smell if it's new, right? It's a different experience when we own that vehicle. And that's what true Christianity should look like. Own it. Own it. If you want strength in your life, own your faith, own your relationship with Jesus, own your commitment to him, prioritize the Lord, obey him, love him. Don't treat Jesus like a rental. Don't treat Jesus like a lease. It's almost like prostituting Jesus in that way. No, own this commitment to Christ and to your faith and drive around in it. Love him, obey him, and if you do, folks, I know this. God will give us more strength than we could ever, ever want. So, God hasn't promised that we won't get tired. Never promised we won't get tired, but he has promised to offer us strength if we need it. And the way we grab onto it is through our faithful, humble, joyful, out of the gratitude of our heart, obedience to him. We're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, but we're strengthened through our obedience to him. So how do you need to respond this morning? Like maybe you're here today and you're realizing today that you're still enslaved in your sin, that it, it still is master over you, that guilt and shame and bad decisions and consequences, it all has a dominion over you. You don't need to live in that life. You can be free. Just believe in Jesus. Believe that he gave his life for you. Believe that your sin was nailed to the cross, that he was raised from the dead. And if you believe in him and give your life to him, you will be free and you will enter into the promised land. You will enter into a life of blessing with God as your creator and your savior and your king. Believe. Faith. Entrust yourself over to him. If you are a believer, are you enjoying the power that God offers? Are you enjoying the power that God offers? If you find yourself in burnout, don't pull back. This is what I've seen for so many years in so many people's lives that when things get tough and difficult and they feel that fatigue and exhaustion coming into their life, they tend to push. And the first thing they push away from is their relationship with God and 
church and serving and giving and other believers. They push away from that because our instinct is to retreat, but we retreat in the wrong direction. We need to retreat not away from the Lord, but toward the Lord. So if anything, if you're feeling like this in your life now, double down, like own it. Double down, serve more, give more, be in your small group more, be at church more, be around Christians. Read your Bible. I don't feel like it. I don't care. Read your Bible. Prioritize it. God will bless the obedience. I don't feel like praying. I don't either. Pray. Pray with desperation. Some of us may be in a place where we need a a fellow believer to come alongside of us for a season in life to help us walk through the angst and and the issues there. Prioritize what matters. Go on retreat if you need to go on a retreat. And here's the last little suggestion. Worship Jesus. You know, it tells us in Scripture that the way that our, our, our faith is strengthened is actually through worship. We, we, we tend to think it's the other way around. God, if you, if you give me greater strength, I'll worship you more. And Scripture says it's the other way around, that the more we worship God, the more our faith is strengthened. So are you low? Are you discouraged? Are you fatigued? Own it. Double down. Grab on. Press in harder into your faith. And God will then strengthen you to do everything he has called you to do in this life. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to be here on this holiday weekend. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be among believers and to be among your church family, to be in your midst. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the truth, and it does challenge us. And sometimes it hurts, sometimes the truth hurts, but that same truth that hurts us is also the truth that heals us. And Lord, I I know that I'm not alone here this morning. There are many of us that are desperate, and we feel alone, and we feel hopeless, and we're tired, and we want to throw in the towel. And so, Lord, I, I do ask that you would now, like, give us a new encounter, a new experience, a fresh touch from you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Spark something new in us. Lord, give us that nudge that we may take that next step of faith, that next step of obedience, Lord. And that then we will see some strength come our way and it will strengthen us to take another step. And then we receive more strength and so on and so on. Or if there's anyone here that has never accepted the gospel of grace, that's never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would do so now, that they would relinquish that in their lives, that they don't have to settle for that slavery, but that would embrace freedom that comes by your grace. They would be quick to confess and repent. For all of us who are followers, Lord, I we struggle with our obedience. It's so easy to walk in the ways of the world and pursue the things of the world and get distracted. Lord, turn us to you. Awaken that in us, Lord. Turn us back to you, please. I pray for all who are struggling and low in faith. I ask for your mercy. 
show yourself to us and reveal your glory to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.